0: Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the rollercoaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching Clubland, we speak to Chris Rogers. Buck had an amazing playing career, playing 25 test matches for Australia and scoring 5 centuries at a tick under 43 as a gritty left-handed opening batsman. He also featured in 3 Ashes series and was the leading run scorer across both teams in the back-to-back series in 2013. Buck's first-class stats are also mind-boggling, featuring 313 first-class games, making over 25,000 runs and registering 76 centuries. As well as his time with both West Australia and Victoria, he was a prolific run scorer in county cricket, plying his trade for Derbyshire, Leicestershire, Northamptonshire, Middlesex and Somerset. Since hanging up that sticky arm guard of his for good in 2016, Buck has made waves as a coach, firstly cutting his teeth in county cricket before returning home to the role of high-performance coach at the National Cricket Centre in Brisbane. In August of 2020, Buck was appointed as the coach of the Victorian men's cricket team and is leading the group through a rebuild with plenty of investment in exciting talent. In our chat with Buck, we talk about his takeaways from playing out coaches like Greg Shippard and Darren Lehman, balancing technical versus cultural responsibilities as a coach, and the current state of the youthful Victorian squad. This episode is proudly brought to you by Technique Matt. To be the best batsman you can be, visit techniquematt.com.au for more info and follow Technique Matt on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Coaching Clubland podcast, Chris Rogers. Thanks, Mitchy Thanks very much for having me. Great to have you on, mate. The premise of the podcast, as we know, is to talk about Firstly, the way you were coached and just the coaching that you're undertaking at the moment. So as much as I'd love to talk to you about the Ashes whitewashed in 2013-14 and uh, your centuries, etc., we're going to focus really on coaching. But before we get into that, the lockdown restrictions have been eased in Victoria and we're ready to open up tomorrow. How have you spent the last few weeks and how have you stayed connected with the Victorian squad? Well, we're, we're building towards our the start of our
1: pre-season that the, the boys have Coming this week to do their initial testing and then we kick off next week. But I took the opportunity to, to have a week's annual leave at the end of um, May uh, up in, in Queensland and then lockdown hit. So, and had two flights cancelled. So, I think someone was telling me to stay up there. So, um, I had a, another week up there, but there was a fair bit of connection with, with the assistant coaches and, and various other people about, yeah, how we're going to structure out our program. I think it's it's an important time for our group.
0: Absolutely. And with the opportunities that many players got in the Victorian Colours last year, I'm sure it's exciting times and the squad's keen to get stuck in the pre-season. But uh, working through your career chronologically, just doing some background and and reading your autobiography there, Bucking the Trend, available in all good bookstores, I'm sure. Uh, Your dad, John, himself, a former first-class cricketer, would often say, if you're not doing it, you can guarantee others are when it came to training hard and having strong work ethic. How did you find these early coaching interactions with dad and how did this shake you as both a player and a coach going forward? Well, first of all, that comment probably something that's always stuck with me. I think,
1: you know, is there any skill in this world that you get better by doing less? I'm, I'm still kind of yet to understand if there is one. but uh, So so that's a little bit of the premise. You know, you, you've got to earn the right. But I had a father who probably pushed me in, in many respects. I was a bit of a lazy kid. I was a, I was a very small kid. Uh, youth, I guess, coming through the the age groups, I didn't get picked for a, for a lot of teams um, initially, and I was physically I was tired a lot as well. I think it was just you know growing pains and 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 whatever. So there were probably times when I was keen to take the uh, the easy option and 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 not train and 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 do those sort of things. But but my father was one who pushed me, and 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 almost I think one of the things that probably now I, I look back in hindsight is. I did something almost every day, whether it was just like a half an hour hit or, or you know, a little bit of the running or, or something like that. There was, there was a kind of a component to, to me getting better every day. And yeah, I, I think that that's probably been one of the, the, the key ingredients for, for my learning and, and, and something that I probably try and teach to other guys as well, especially for professional cricketers. This is your
0: job. And as a player, you had to fight and scrap for every opportunity that came your way has this tenacity shaped your approach to coaching or are you far more relaxed now knowing that things are beyond your control when the players cross the boundary line? <laughs> um, probably not too
1: many coaches who are, you know, completely relaxed when, when the players go out, I guess it's like the, the swimming dark. It's, it might seem calm on the outside, but the inside there's, there's a fair bit going on and um, I can be a little bit similar. I guess, I guess I'm probably, you know, conscious of that. I had a lot of, coaches in my own career and probably looked at what what was the, the good aspects and, and the negative aspects. And, and a lot of the time I think that the negative aspect came from coaches who were just a little bit too nervous, you know, and that, and that um, influenced the group. So I think it's important, you know, how you, how you carry yourself. You know, look at someone like Damien Hardwick at, at Richmond and, and that kind of style is something that I, that I really admire. So um, probably what, how I'm trying to
0: shape myself and my coaching. And you played the bulk of your Australian domestic first-class career under the likes of Wayne Clark and Greg Shippard, two stalwarts of Australian cricket coaching. What do you think some of the attributes were that made them successful and is there anything that you've borrowed from their playbook? Um, I mean, they were, they were very two different coaches. And this was the
1: interesting thing. I, I, I tried to count one time, I think I had 13 or 14 first-class head coaches, which I thought at the time was probably not many players who were playing at the time and had that many. So oh, I had a lot of experiences to draw on. Wayne Clark was was a pretty relaxed customer. He, he was more of a man manager, which was when he had the, the kind of exceptional side. Mid-90s um, with Western Australia, where you had the likes of Tom Moody and Damian Martin and Justin Langer and Brendan Julian and Simon Cadditch and Mike Arsey, I could go on. You know, that style was just perfect and, and he got the best out of that side. I think Greg Shippard was much, was the most prepared coach I've ever seen. He would, he would come prepared to every game. He would have statistics and data on the opposition, on ourselves. Um, he, he would have a you know style we we wanted to play, and, and a booklet he'd give you with you know all the all the info on on the opposition, whatever you needed that that kind of thing before. So he was probably someone I look at and think you know that's what coaching is closer to you know but someone who can really Provide in depth awareness to to the players. And equally, you know, he, he didn't force it on people at times. A lot of the time, you'd get the booklet and you'd just put it to the side because you'd seen it all before. But it, it, the fact that he was always there um, providing support, I thought was was fantastic.
0: You know, I think that balance between information overload and then just that little chunk of information that the players can actually process and implement out in the middle is, is a really fine line there. That's a really interesting point. And I guess maybe a coach that's slightly different again is Darren Lehman and his tenure as coach of Australia coincided with your reintroduction in the test team. What kind of environment did he set up, particularly, you know, after homework gate, which the team was in a bit of turmoil. Uh, what kind of environment did he set up and what were some of his strengths as a coach as well?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, his, his main strength was his his ability to, to build relationships. And, and I probably undersold that with, with Shippy as well. You, you know, Shippy to be able to get people to kind of look at that data and and trust what he's doing, you, you know, there has to be that level of trust that he he was really good at being able to provide and create. And then, woof, I, I'll probably i give you um, this example. So this is probably the best way I I can describe it. It was it was after Mickey Arthur had been fired. There was a fair bit of chat in the background, you know, amongst the, amongst the guys. What was what was Lehman going to be like and and there was a lot of walking around on eggshells at the time. I just think it was, it was following the, um, the homework gate. And a lot of players didn't really know where they stood and they felt if they did anything wrong, they were going to get in trouble. And anyway, we, had a, um, we got on the bus um, from London. We picked actual, actually Darren Lehman and the Aussie A guys up who were joining the, the Ashes party. It was a bit of a weird one because it was following the Champions Trophy in England. So the, the squad was split in two. And then we were going down to Somerset, down the southwest of, of England. And um, we got down there and, and Lehman said, right, guys, we've got a meeting in half an hour in the, in the, in the meeting room. And we, we all kind of filed, filed down there. And, we went in and, he, and he, I remember Jimmy Pattinson was there and he said, Jimmy, you've got you to stop watching. He said, "Yep." Yeah. He said, okay. Time me. He said, none of my meetings will ever go for more than 30 minutes. And if they do, you're allowed to walk out okay anyway so he went through and he, and he talked about all his values and how he wanted to play and stuff like that and the other thing that happened at the time was Davey Warner had punched Joe Root um, so there was a bit of that going on as well and, and no one knew what was going to happen and then and then it got towards the end and Book and said right Jimmy he said how long have I gone for and he said oh like 26 minutes he said okay perfect good I've got one one more issue to talk about and he just said Davey and kind of Davey looked up and he just said he said if you ever stuff up again," maybe in slightly different wording, but if you ever stuff up again, you will never play for Australia again. You got it? And David just nodded and he went, right, done. And that was it. It was like, you know, it was it was so much chat about what was going to happen and he just kind of nailed it in 10 seconds. And it seems really simple, yeah, yeah. but the way he did it. And then he just said, all right, guys, we're going to the pub. Um, the captain's buying, And everyone just kind of went, uh, okay. And so we, we went out it was literally across an alley, a laneway and we went over to this pub and I'd come from County cricket and, you know, it was pretty relaxed at times and I just struck straight up the bar with a pint. And I, I'm like, I'm having a beer and I'm looking around and no one's touching their drink. Yeah. And they all thought it was a, um, it was like a test. And in the end, like Boof just grabbed a beer and he just had a, had a drink and yeah. everyone had a drink and, and it just kind of eased the the, um, the environment really. So he did that really well and, and probably he's, other strength was his ability to give just complete direction. He he would just say, This is how we're gonna play and and this is what we're gonna do. And Mitch Johnson was probably the biggest benefactor of that because he just, for instance, he was told, you know, when that when the bottom order come in, you just you know, you just bomb them kind of thing, and and that's how we're gonna attack it, you know, and and whether that's right or wrong, but it, it was just it just gave Mitch and, and particularly the other bowlers, this just clear focus of how to play. And he was really aggressive. He, you know, he wanted to play aggressive cricket. And that wasn't my style. So I just sat at the back of the room and just kind of nodded along. But equally he knew that I knew that that I would do my own style. But it was just the way he kind of structured it up to to make sure everyone knew where that where they stood. So it was it was he was very good as well at that time
0: and buck one of your strengths is your technical analysis and, and your ability to talk batting and coach batting i remember when you you switched across from wa to victoria and uh, you started your premier career in, in melbourne with with essendon and i reckon half the club after a few weeks of batting trying to imitate you with you know the slightly front <laughs> foot and the hands tight to the body even i had a crack and i went from numbers 10 to number nine i reckon in, in the batting order but uh <laughs> you know, you really love talking batting, but as as a head coach, I guess is a, a slightly different skill set around, you know, man management and building team culture. So, as head coach, how do you balance the technical versus the the cultural aspects of uh, that role? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think you you kind of segregated it a little bit. You you know when you, you're
1: hands on and you, and you, you're getting dirty and you're in the net and and you're working on specific things with players, but as a head coach. I mean that's that's only one component of it. It's it's about getting everyone on the same page, the right strategy, building an environment as well. So oh, I think it's I think it's just trying to read the room and knowing when's the right time to do to do each. Players still want some of that 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 technical um, work at times. So so you want to be there to support. But equally, there's some players who you wouldn't touch technically. You you just say okay, no, actually your issues. Is, Nick Manninson is a good example. I think he's technically he's you know he's very good. He he's a deep thinker about his game. He, he knows what he wants to do. I, I don't. I won't talk techni- technically in him at all. Really, I I probably go for a walk with him and just have a chat, to see how he's going. You know, if, if there's anything you need, that kind of build that relationship. So, I think it's probably identifying what are the strengths and weaknesses of of certain players, knowing who needs maybe some of that technical work, but then. And finding the right time. But other than that, as a head coach, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably trying to, yeah, build that environment. It, that's probably the, the, the bigger challenge.
0: And you had an extensive career in county cricket in the UK. How do you compare Australian coaching methodology to the English approach that you experienced during that time? And what can we learn from them and vice versa?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's, it's a very different environment in terms of how much you play. So it, So I guess... In Australia, you've probably just got a bit more time, albeit we didn't have a lot of time at the end of last season when we had a lot of cricket all put together. It was more like a county, a county season then. And then when that happens, you're probably you're probably having kind of quiet conversations with people along the way, but there's not a lot of work you can do in the meantime. And just got to trust that, you know, the players are going to do the right things. I think when you and that's probably what county cricket is at, at times, you know, if, if just be there to, to be an emotional support a lot of the time and, and keep the team going in the right direction. But but here I think in Australia we have a bit more time. We can be a bit more in depth with with how we approach it, particularly reviewing. That's something that that I hoping to develop a little bit with, with our squad. Just, you know, how do you how do you you really learn? It, it's it's kind of it's easy just to walk from kind of one match to the next and not really, you know, understand how you can get better. So we've got to find, I think, better ways to do that. With all the tech now that's available, you know, we, we should be sitting down and, and watching vision with players and, and, you know, going through the data when we can because there it, it should be enough time to, to be able to do that.
0: One challenge that I had and still have to, uh, to that extent is that players will often say, oh, I was playing my natural game or I was hitting the ball to my zones or whatever it might be. How do you respond to that sort of statement? For me, that really irks me. Um, I think you need to play to the situation, play to the conditions. Um, when, when a player might suggest that to you in response to feedback you've got for them, what's your sort of initial reaction? <laughs> Probably a little bit like yours, frustration.
1: You know, it's the, it's the old thing when batsmen's in and, and, you know, the, the, the captain puts two back for the hook and the bowler-bowl's a short ball and you, you get caught in the deep and say, well, that, that's the shot I play. Well, you're not going to go very far if that's the case. You know, you've got to be able to read the situation way up, you know, what, what are the right options, that, that kind of stuff. So I think, you you know, you want to be able to have those conversations with players. For that to happen, you, you have to build trust first. You, you know, you, it's pretty hard to walk in as a new person and, and start telling players how to play. You, you know, you have to kind of ease your way into it and, and work out what's the right strategy. But equally, I don't think you want to walk past those kind of uh, little moments because, you know, otherwise no one's learning.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode. Just remember that if you're driving and you get in a bingle, praying or a scrape, make sure you contact Anthony at S&J Smash Repairs for all of your insurance and private work needs. Call him on 9357 or visit www.sjsmash.com.au. Alrighty, let's get back to the interview. And we often hear about the impact that T20 cricket's having on, you know, the technique of young batters. Is this perception real or just a lazy sort of conclusion that, you know, that fits the narrative that T20 cricket Isn't real cricket, or it's uh, negatively impacting uh, the technical ability of our young batters.
1: Oh no, I think it is. I I think it's. I think at times they're almost two different sports. You know, you've got the, and I would say one day cricket's closer to four day cricket. And the reason I say that is in four day cricket, you're probably the bowler's probably trying to bowl five balls at the top of off stump. In in one day cricket, a lot of times it's about four times at the top of off stump, particularly in the first kind of thirty to forty overs. Uh, But in T20, it might be one or two at the top of off-stump, you know, that kind of stuff. So a lot of times I think the T20 is is a very, very different sport, a different swing. A lot of times I think you're working on the the horizontal axis as opposed to the vertical axis, if that makes sense, because you're trying to hit the ball up, um, a bit more like baseball. So from there, I think that players, there's probably two components to that. I think players are trying to learn almost twice as much, and they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of good at both, but they're not a master of one. And then the other thing is I think our young players coming through are trying to hit more fours and sixes than ever before. And to do that, especially when you're young and you, you're not particularly strong, um, you start wrapping your bottom hand around the, the back of the bat and that's how you do it. And I think that's making it hard for, for players to be able to defend really good bowling that that moves because of that that bottom hand that's wrapped around but you know that's a, that's a pretty simplistic look at it but yeah I do think um I do think there's a there's a couple of components to that and uh that's okay that that just means that we have to be
0: aware of it and find other ways to see if we can help the players. And before you picked up the Victorian uh, head coaching role um, you were at the National Cricket Centre as the high performance coach and working with the under 19s and the twenty eighteen World Cup as well. How did how did these experiences round you off as a coach before you embarked on the Victorian role?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate to get that role. I think uh, working with with that age is, is a huge challenge, just because they still they still don't really understand uh, what being a professional cricket cricketer is, and and um, they're still probably playing a little bit just on their talent, not so much on their, their decision making a lot of times. And yeah, they, they they don't understand just yet how how tough this game is. So um and that's that's once again, that's a bit of a generalization. But yeah, to, to work with the with the younger guys, I think it's it probably as it's probably as much about how you communicate as anything, just because you know, you, you try and have high level conversations with them, and it, and it goes in one ear and out the other. So probably figuring out where each player is on their journey, and then and then being able to kind of relate to them, I think was was really good. And yeah, I I, I probably didn't get it right all the time, if if not a lot of the time, but yeah, it was fantastic learning.
0: And speaking of learning, the young Victorian squad's had a fair bit of turnover and there's lots of opportunities for younger players at the moment. What's your role at the moment in terms of fast tracking this development and converting ideally potential into performance? Look, I think that we've got a really interesting squad. We've got some excellent
1: senior players who are probably around 30 and a bit older. Then we have a real dearth of players kind of between 24 to 28, and then we have a huge number of players that are kind of under 23 really so we've almost got two squads within the squad and the challenge is probably trying to get these younger players ready to to, to be able to perform in an environment where they're going to be taking on lots of very good season players and you know like I, I think there's the emotional challenge as well you know Michi, as a, a bowler in cricket a lot of the time you you. you fail more than you succeed so how these young players deal with with that failure is is actually really interesting so it's not just about you know whether they've got a good technique or whether they can face some good bowling or they can bowl a good batsman it's it's actually how they deal with the day-to-day struggles of being a professional cricketer so we're trying to probably talk about professionalism and and you know the, the values of resilience and, and those kind of things and, and
0: instil that into, into the group a little bit and see where that, that takes us. And that missing sort of age bracket of, you know, 24 to late 20s is interesting because it's kind of reflective of what the case is in Premier Cricket too. Is that just coincidental or is that a, a list management thing that's sort of popped up over the last few years? Is there any sort of reason for that with Victorian cricket?
1: Um, look, I think the side's been well served by... A number of senior players for for a, a long time, and then it just happened that a few of them stepped away all at the same time. But equally, because they were playing so well, Victoria were winning. It probably blocked the the pathway for a few players, you know. And that, and that's that's what happens if you're not good enough to get into the, the first team, then you know that then whose fault is that kind of thing. So it's been um, there's been a few challenges around that, but yeah, I think that it's going to take a, a while naturally. For us to kind of get into a position where our squad looks a a little bit better more rounded but that's probably on the coaches and 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 our staff to be able to kind of fast track a lot of this kind of maturing
0: amongst the younger guys and over the last 30 years or so victoria's struggled to produce test quality batsmen we've had you know matty elliott uh, dean jones before him hodgie had had a stint there and Peter Hanscom as well, but generally it's been a little bit uh, of a barren run. Are there any factors in that you think that any reasons as to why we haven't produced many test-quality batsmen?
1: Oh, who knows? I, I probably think there's a, there's a multitude of, of reasons. It, it, it is hard to know. I, I mean, I guess maybe maybe the conditions at times in, in local cricket don't, don't lend themselves to being able to succeed in, in other places in the world. That might be one reason. A bit like South Australia to to an extent, um, with those lower, slower wickets. Maybe that the cricket's not as challenging at times in the way it needs to be. There's, there's different challenges with those low, slow wickets, no doubt. But I'm just guessing now. I don't really, I don't really understand why. But equally, we've got one coming through at the moment in in Will Pakovsky, and it's you know there's a couple of exciting young players like Jono Merlo, uh, like like Jake Fraser-McGurk, these kind of guys who you know, it's on them and and on us as an organisation and as a system as well to see if we can get a few of these players up into the national side because I think it's about time we had a few um a few more playing in Boxing Day Test, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely, buck it's been amazing having you on. I think one of the endearing qualities that you've got is that you've got time for everyone, and that's that's you know fantastic that you're willing to jump on today. And your legacy with Australian cricket and English cricket, for that matter, with your with your time in the county game, there is incredible and. Best of luck in the Big V uh, this season. We'll be watching with interest, mate, and go well. No worries, mate. I, I just say well done to you. I think coach development's an, an interesting issue.
1: I, I think it's sometimes I think coaches just uh, are expected just to get better by by experience, but actually going out and 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 finding people to talk to and listening and and finding the right mentors, I think, is is undervalued. So um, yeah, what you're doing, I think, is excellent.
0: Thanks, Buck. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching in Clubland. A shout out to the talented Aidan Arandez for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.